The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It only made sense that as free agency begins to kind of wind down a little bit, which is a little bit also dumb to say, considering I think it's now finally things can actually become official. But the big stuff we always hear about during the moratorium period that we resume our breakdowns of the teams across the NBA with one of the teams that was most impacted by free agency, and that is the Chicago Bulls. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris. This is a hoop ball presentation, hoop-ball.com, chugging along through the offseason. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Follow HoopBall by going to the website, hoop-ball.com. At HoopBallFantasy on the Twitter or at hoopball tweets, if you so desire. And a quick shout out here at the beginning of the show to the Hoopball Loyalty Program because we are just 11 days from prices at Hoopball going up. If you'd like to lock in last year's prices forever, go to hoop-ball.com and click on the premium tab. You can get the fantasy pass, you can get the wager pass, you can get Hoopball 360 at last year's monthly prices. And as long as you don't turn the subscription off, you can keep those prices forever. This is a big deal because, for one, HoopBall360 is going up by a bunch this year. Fantasy Pass going up by a little bit. There are also going to be new bundles available this coming season. Those will have some discounts built in, but there will never be a better price. Honestly, there will never be a better deal than the HoopBall360 package which has the wager pass for those of you that are into sports betting and the fantasy pass rolled into one and the earliest access of anybody, any subscription anywhere to the hoop, uh, to the Brewski 150. So make sure to go check that out. You've got 11 days to go get last year's prices and keep them forever. Because look, guys, prices will go up again at some point. Next year, year after that, whatever it is, and then they'll go up again at some point after that. Three years down the line, whatever it happens to be, if you get a fantasy pass, for instance, right now, or Hoopball 360 right now, and the prices go up three, four times in the next decade, you're still paying last year's prices. Basically, you're going to be playing fantasy sports or betting or some combination thereof for more than a season. You should be going to do this. Because I know a lot of you guys turn it on and off during the year. When the fantasy season is rolling versus when it's not. For wagering, it's actually going year-round. This is an impetus to just leave it alone. Set it and forget it. So the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls. They're, we've talked about them uh, not infrequently during this free agency period because they made two of the biggest moves of anyone. Maybe the two biggest moves, acquiring Lonzo Ball. No, that's probably not fair, because Russell Westbrook going to the Lakers right beforehand was probably the biggest move. Uh, Lonzo Ball to the Bulls in a sign-and-trade. DeMar DeRozan to the Bulls in a sign-and-trade. It's 
it's a big shift for what they were doing out there. And the best way to look at it is to look at what the Bulls were doing towards the end of last season and then make our adjustments accordingly. Contractually, it does us almost no good at all to look at the Bulls' commitments because they're completely different now. They sent out Thad Young, who was set to make about 14 mil this coming season. They sent out Tomas Sadoransky, who was set to make 10. Al Farouk Aminu, 10. These guys all on the way out. Daniel Tice came off the books. They sent Garrett Temple away. Uh, Larry Markkinen, by the way, a restricted free agent, so we still don't know how that situation is going to play itself out. But they're a completely revamped team. Kobe White, the young guy, they have team options on Kobe than each of the next two years, and they'd, they'll probably do it just because it's relatively damn affordable for now a decent scoring backup point guard. But Patrick Williams is sort of the young wing that they're going to try to develop into the kind of the missing spot. Because we now, it's very, very easy to locate four of the five starters in Chicago coming into this next season. It's the four big-name guys they have on their team. Vooch, Zach Levine, and then the recently acquired DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball. But someone's got to play, presumably, in that configuration, power forward, assuming that DeRozan's playing small forward, and that's probably Patrick Williams, who's a young guy. He's only 19 right now, but he's already 6'7", 215. He'll continue to fill out and he'll probably slot into kind of a slightly undersized power forward. He was already taking two three-pointers a game and making about one of them. He shot 39% from the field last year from three-point land. By all accounts, there's a decent, efficient makeup in Patrick Williams that will thrive from a reality standpoint alongside four guys that create a ton of offensive gravity. From a fantasy standpoint, there's there's nothing there because there's just... Too many guys around him. The story last year is that Zach Levine had a career season. He shot 51% from the field. 50.7, I rounded up. 85% at the free throw line. Everything that we could have ever hoped from Zach Levine, he delivered last year. His best shooting season he's had in the NBA by four percentage points, despite actually increasing the number of three-pointers he was taking per game. His three-point shooting went up from 38 to 42 year over year, and he's now, well, I guess we'll wait and see what what he actually is from downtown. He's already almost a 39%er from three-point land. Free throws, best mark he's had in his career by about half a percentage point over, believe it or not, his rookie season back with Minnesota. Best rebounding year from 4.8 up to 5, and some of that's just that he played a ton of minutes, but he played 37 minutes under Tibbs in Minnesota, and the rebounds weren't nearly that good. Best assisting season he's ever had. The only thing that fell off this year was that steals were way down at .8 in 35 minutes a ball game, and that's, I would argue, somewhere in the neighborhood of about .2, lower than what you might have expected on the gear. But that's a hard thing to fault him on. Still, He took 19 and a half shots per game this year. And it was more than that before Vooch came to town. And he had five assists per game. And he took five free throws per game. It's pretty straightforward that this dude had the ball in his hands 
almost every damn time down the floor. If he was on the floor, he was involved in it. You play 35 minutes a game, for goodness sake. That's a ton in the modern NBA. An absolute truckload. I mean, if you want to grade it out, he was basically in like the top 15 in minutes per game, at least on a per-game basis. Not surprisingly, Julius Randle, under Tom Thibodeau, led the league in minutes per game. I think he actually led the league in total minutes this year. James Harden, you guys want to hear the top whatever it is, 12, 13, 15, whatever, we'll get to Zach Levine. It was Randall, Harden, Freddie Van Vliet. Toronto always does this too. Russell Westbrook, believe it or not. Harrison Barnes, Demonis Sabonis, Pascal Siakam. There's another Raptor. Dame, Bradley Beal. So the Wizards, two offenders in there. Jason Tatum, Jamal Murray. Ouch, that one stings looking back. Colin Sexton, De'Aaron Fox, two Kings now uh, on that list. Uh, then Zach Levine, and right behind him, Kyrie Irving, R.J. Barrett, and Kyle Lowry. So no uh, Irving, I guess you'd say, would be the big surprise in that mix. But then another Thibodeau and another Raptor. Two Knicks, three Raptors inside however many names I just listed off. I think it was 17. Five of the 17. Pretty predictable. But there was Zach Levine. In there at uh, 14, I think is what I said, in minutes per game. Make no mistake, they'll still be relatively high. This is It's not like his numbers are going to fall off a cliff because they have new guys around. And this isn't a team in the vein of like a Milwaukee Bucks or really anybody that's done it. Teams that have done it. I would have argued that the Nuggets had done it with their deep bubble run, but that didn't totally play itself out. But Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. Generally, the Nets, I'm sure they'll fall into that mix as well. Team Warriors, if they had their full roster together, which they didn't, so that one you could sort of wipe aside. But teams that didn't have that regular season prove-it mentality, the Bulls aren't on that list yet. They still have a a prove-it mentality because they haven't gotten to the playoffs yet. This isn't like, oh, well, Zach Levine, you can take it easy. Bulls are going to need to develop chemistry. That's going to require the stars to play together. So minutes per game-wise, maybe a small drop-off, but I'm thinking 35 perhaps falls as low as, like, 34. But I don't think it'll go much lower than that unless they somehow start blowing teams out early in the year. But I don't think that's happening either, largely because I think it takes a bunch of time for these guys to figure each other out. So to that end, and then let's talk about Vooch for a second, and then we'll, we'll kind of pivot our attention to the going forward part of this thing. Vooch played most of last year with the Orlando Magic. He was traded at the deadline to the Chicago Bulls. He logged uh, 26 games with Chicago, 44 with Orlando. So he only missed two games last year, by the way. One of his most durable seasons to date. Vooch had sort of always been a guy who missed like between... Uh, 6 and 12 games per year. It was kind of the same story. Uh, He had that Rudy Gobert-itis where he kind of traded off years where he missed 5 games and where he missed 20. And then lately, it actually hasn't been all that different. Uh, Three years ago, he played in 80 games. The shortened season, he played in 62 out of 72. And then this year, 70 out of 72. So uh, overall, you average it out, and Vooch has done relatively well in that regard at least over the last three years. And if you go back beyond that, you get into that weird alternating thing. Missed 20, missed 6, missed 17, missed 8, missed 25, missed 5. 
it's hard to know which Vooch season you're going to get. Are you going to get the one where he misses 20 games or the one where he misses five? I lean towards the five side. It does seem like health-wise he's got things worked out relatively well. So that's assume that's not a massive part of what's going on with Vooch this year. In Orlando, he took 20 and a half shots per game this year. In Chicago, he took 18.8. And bear in mind, Zach Levine missed two and change weeks in COVID protocols, which led to one of the most ridiculous podcast reviews I've ever received in my life. Someone who read so far into a discussion and just clearly wasn't listening, and I'm never going to get over that review because it's so stupid and so missed the mark. Like, you couldn't possibly have missed the mark more, review guy, whoever you may be, who told me that I was the vaccine police. By the way, uh, speaking of vaccine police, um, (laughs) I'm not going to go down that road. For fear we get another negative review. Uh, If you want my opinions on all that stuff, we can talk about it on Twitter. The the Vooch thing is also a little bit unnerving, And and I talked a bit about it at the beginning of this week when the Lonzo Ball trade went down, and then even a tiny bit more when the DeMar DeRozan trade went down, there's just no chance that Vooch is looking at 20 shots per game with Levine next to him and now with DeRozan. I'm less concerned about Lonzo Ball. He slots into whatever shots some of these other guys were taking on the way out. The the Whatever, the Thad Young, 10 shots per game, uh, Daniel Tice taking 6 or 7... Sato, six, Temple, seven, Al Farouk Aminu, four. Well, that was, he was with a different team for the most part of last year. Uh, the, whatever blend that was, I don't know how many shots that all came out to. That was like 30, low 30 something. Lonzo's shots will come from that bucket. Lonzo doesn't need to take his shots from Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic. Those guys are the, those guys are the shot takers. Lonzo is the facilitator who's going to open up the floor. He's going to take his three-pointers. He's going to get the team out and run. That's going to be fun. Lonzo and Zach Levine, one to the other in the open court. I'm not worried about him, his impact on the shots for Levine and Vooch. When it was just Lonzo coming to town, you could almost slot. The only thing I think you needed to, to consider was that maybe the assists for Levine or Vooch, or even both of them, maybe they trickled down ever so slightly. The bigger impact guy is DeMar DeRozan. He's always been a high-usage player. He's not a guy who just slots into a team's offense. He's a guy who commands it for stretches. He played 34 minutes a game for San Antonio last year, took 15 shots, had seven assists, seven uh, free throws per ball game. We did this exercise already. That's basically 18 and a half possessions that ended with him getting fouled or taking a shot, roughly, and seven additional possessions per game where his pass led to the very next shot. Let's forget about the passing side for just a minute, and let's look at the shooting side. Those 18 and whatever, and then Lonzo getting his you know, 12 or 13 whatever possessions, that would basically be all of the shots you sent out in the sign-in trade, which was four or five guys. It doesn't work that way. Their shots don't just all go to those two guys. There's going to be other things, other factors that play into this. Just think about think about Brooklyn when everybody's healthy. Are they all getting as many shots as when they were on their own teams? No. 
Think about the Warriors when uh, Kevin Durant came to town. Did they have a ton of fantasy value? Hell yeah, they did. They had a, they had a, an absolute truckload. But did they take nearly as many shots individually as they did the previous season? Not a chance. Kevin Durant went to the Warriors in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. The previous year, 2015, Steph Curry, that was his crazy runaway train MVP season. He took 20 shots per game and had five free throws a night, averaged 30 uh, points with five three-pointers. That was that 50, 40, 91. I mean, that was like, an, uh, that was unreal from Steph, 2015. Klay Thompson took 17 shots per game that year uh, as sort of the, the number two. Kevin Durant showed up and... Like, they still had great fantasy value. Kevin Durant was number one on a per-game basis the following year, and Steph was number three, but his shots fell by 2.2, and his free throws by a half a free throw per game. Klay Thompson's shots actually stayed relatively consistent that following year. And then the year after that, Klay's shots fell by one. Steph's shots fell by another one. KD, oddly, his shots trended up over that stretch as he settled in, and it became more Kevin Durant and perhaps a tiny bit less Steph Curry. And Steph got hurt for, I think, 20-some-odd games that next year as well. And then in uh, the last, well, let's see, where are we at now? 2018, 2019? Yeah, Steph uh, back up to 19.4 shots per game that year, and it got him much closer to the top. But never again, never after KD joined the team, did Steph get his shots back up and over 20. And only in that last season, when we knew KD was out the door, did Steph even come close. This is what this is. By the way, if you're thinking, what did Steph do when all these guys were gone? Steph took 22 shots a game this last season. It's never a one-to-one thing. Clay Thompson's 18 shots gone. Steph's shots go up by, like, one and a half or two. Most of it goes to other guys. Andrew Wiggins took 15 shots. Kelly Oubre took 13 shots. That's how this thing works. And that's what we need to be thinking about with Chicago. They can't just isolate all of their shots to three guys. For one, because those three guys are going to be on the floor at the same time a lot. And when that's the case, a shot that DeMar DeRozan might have normally taken might go to Zach Levine every once in a while. And it might alternate just between the two of them back and forth. And that's fine. But there's just only so many shots in a ball game. They have to rest from time to time. You can't just take all of the shots away from every other player because they're going to eventually be on the floor for some amount of time. It's just impossible. We can talk in circles, concentric circles, curling circles. I don't want to say the word circles anymore, but I did one more time. We can talk in this infinite loop to try to convince ourselves that somehow everything is going to be fine. But the honest-to-goodness truth is that when a higher-usage guy comes to a team where dudes had been taking 20 shots per ball game, they're going to lose one or two or even more shots per game. DeMar DeRozan will get his 14, 15 shots, whatever it might be. Maybe he even gets close to where he was in San Antonio last year. But this will be the first time 
that Levine and Vooch and DeRozan have all played together. When Vooch and Levine were playing together, you saw it all, I mean, you saw it Im- immediately that Vooch's shots in Chicago were under 19 after he was over 20 in Orlando. And that was including games where Levine was out for a couple of weeks. The numbers will come down. Levine up and over 20 when he was by himself. Vooch comes in. That'll take a shot away from him. Even if you go as conservative estimate as possible and say he loses one shot every time a superstar shows up, that'd still be two shots. And that's a big deal for a guy where the percentages were a big part of his game, scoring was a big part of his game. The next question all this stuff... By the way, I don't think Lonzo takes that big of a hit. We talked about that uh, on, I think, our first Monday micropod. I don't think Lonzo takes a particularly large hit with this move. He'll probably lose some of his assists, but it'll be hard for someone playing a full complement of minutes for him to to not get up close to a dozen shots per ballgame. I think you can adjust him down ever so slightly. But let's play that game. Let's play the how far do we adjust players down game. Well, if Vooch was number 11 on the season this year, but, and this is actually kind of important, but with Chicago, Vooch was not inside the top 11. He was still good. He was top 15 with Chicago. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it's something. If you add another big-time player to the mix, and he falls another, whatever you want to call it, in terms of sort of his the percentage against an average fantasy player, that would drop him from top 15 down to about top 23 or so, somewhere in that neck of the woods, which, based on where he was drafted last year, would actually still make him a value, but we'll see where he gets drafted. Maybe if he goes near the turn again this coming season, then you're looking too high. If he's still going around 30, he actually probably still beats that mark, even with all these guys around him. I think he probably goes on a per-game basis. I think you're looking at Vooch in the mid-20s. He's not getting up into that 15 to 10 range again. What about Zach Levine? Levine this year, and again, he missed a bunch of games down the stretch. Levine this season was fantastic. Top 25, 51% from the field, 85% at the free throw line, 27, 5, and 5. Little under steal, half a block, three and a half, three pointers per game. Take a shot and change away from Levine. And that brings down the scoring. By a point or two, maybe more. Do the assists come down by a half? Field goal percent, if it's still good, it doesn't have the same impact. Does he take half a free throw less per ball game? Yeah, the turnovers probably come down with it. I don't think field goal percent goes any higher for Levine. This is probably about a best-case scenario. He'll probably get drafted inside the top 30 after the season he just put together, and I cannot condone that. I think Levine falls by about a round, maybe more. We didn't even really get to see what he would be playing alongside Vooch. They didn't play together very much. They had a few games right when Vooch first showed up. The, uh, the, the chemistry was a disaster, those first couple of ball games. And then they played together uh, the last like five games of the year when Levine came back from COVID protocols. He took a ton of shots in those ball games. I mean, they were just cutting loose at that point. They were out of the mix. He was just firing. Fire, fire, fire. So a bit too small of a sample size. But last season, I think you could safely call the best possible outcome for Zach Levine. 
even if you believe he does as well as he did this most recently completed year, he still can't possibly go any higher. I would look to draft Zach Levine in the 40 range. I do think that his step back in usage could impact things by that much, a full round or a little bit over a round of value. DeMar DeRozan was number 43 on a per-game basis this year. 15 shots, 7 free throws per game, as we mentioned. There's no way he gets 7 assists a game in Chicago. He's not going to be the point guard orchestrator that much at all. I would look at DeRozan back near 60. Which is... It's funny, too, because that's not all that far from where he was floating for a while in San Antonio before the assists really began to pick up, like... What is that, last year, I guess? DeRozan always found his way near the edge of the top 50. But the shots, the number of attempts, all of that stuff was always really, really high. 15 to 18 shots per game. He'll be at the lower end of that this year with these big-name guys next to him. This will be the first time he's played with two high-usage guys. He's played with one in Toronto, I guess you could call Kyle Lowry relatively high usage. When they were together, he played with LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio. They were relatively high usage. Now he's going to a place with two guys who are higher usage, I would say, than any of those guys. And there's two of them. So yeah, DeMar DeRozan, back near 60. Maybe even lower. I pray not lower than that, but it's possible. And finally, Lonzo Ball, and heaven help you if you go to anyone else on this team looking for fantasy value, because there's just not going to be anything left after those three guys, unless you're a do-everything type, the way Lonzo is. He was number 48 this year in nine category leagues, taking 12 and a half shots per game, barely any free throws, although he did fix his free throw stroke, mostly shooting three-pointers, five rebounds, six assists, one and a half steals, half a block, and generally kind of dinged up throughout his NBA career. Lonzo Ball is a really tough sell in head-to-head because he has a big name, He's injury-prone, and he's going to a place now with three ultra-high usage guys. In uh, New Orleans, there were two pretty damn high usage guys with him, but this will be more. Again, it's more. So ratchet the assists down, take the shot attempts, and probably bring those down ever so slightly. Again, I don't think he takes the huge hit because he wasn't getting that many shots anyway, but 12.7, maybe that becomes like 11.8. And every little bit matters because this is a guy who was just inside the top 50 If the assists come down from six... I mean, people are talking about Lonzo Ball leading the league in assists. That's not happening, man. He's not initiating the offense on that team every time. DeMar is ahead of him in that pecking order. Levine is ahead of DeMar in that pecking order. I don't know where Vooch fits in in terms of initiating, but he's going to be a part of a lot of their stuff. So, yeah, Lonzo Ball's assists, if anything, they come down. I think best case is they stick near six. So I'd look for him... Back near where we just talked about with DeMar DeRozan. Frankly, I'd love to get him a little bit later because of the missed ball games. And that's only for not, for uh, games cap roto formats because he's going to miss 12 to 20 ball games. He just always does. He always does. DeMar's relatively healthy. Levine is relatively healthy. Vooch is relatively healthy. At least you don't have to make a big roto versus head-to-head split on those guys. With Lonzo, you do. You're not drafting him in head-to-head leagues because he's going to get hurt and he's going to cost you an injured list spot. And then if someone else gets hurt, then you're taking zeros. Unless you're in a league with, like, three injured reserve spaces. And maybe this COVID year you had it. I don't know what... Honestly, I have no idea what next season is going to look like because it doesn't look like COVID's going to be gone. Still figuring out how to deal with this Delta variant. Booster shot tailored to it. 
hopefully coming in the next few months, but that won't be before the season starts. So we're probably still going to have COVID protocol stuff this coming year. Which means you probably want to be in leagues that have a bunch of injured slots. But it also means that guys missing games are going to be common. And if you can draft a head-to-head team that mostly stays on the floor, outside of the fluke stuff, that's a huge advantage. Lonzo's not that guy. I'm looking to draft Lonzo Ball in the 70 range. The deepest of the four guys on this team. I don't think he makes it that far. Of the of the names I just listed and where I think they're going to go, two of the four might end up in my lap. Vooch, if people still think he should go in the 30s, like if people say, oh, well, he's on a team with all these superstars, there's no way he gets anywhere near where he was, and then they over-adjust for that to where he was drafted last season near 30, I think he does slightly overperform that. Very safe pick at that spot without the kind of upside he had this season. And then DeMar DeRozan, who I think people probably also bring way down on their draft boards because he's now playing with these two ultra-high usage guys. He's going to take a hit from mid-40s into probably the 60s. But if you can get him in the 60s, he'll be a very safe play there who helps you in percentages, doesn't do anything for you in three-pointers, but rebounds a little bit, passes a little bit, scores, great in free throw percent, does a lot of really nice things you could get. That would be useful in the fifth, uh, really more the sixth round is where I'd probably target him, and then Lonzo more the seventh, or even the beginning of the eighth, if you could get him all that deep. I don't think you're getting Lonzo that far back. Someone's going to take him near 50 or 60, because he's Lonzo Ball. But if he falls 75 or 80, yeah, you take him at that point. And then Zach Levine, there's almost no chance I end up with him on any of my nine-cat roto teams because he just had the best season of his career. That's going to boost his numbers. He's looked very good in the, in the Olympics. Uh, he's uh, an electrifying basketball player who missed two and a half weeks with COVID, but if not for that, he only missed a couple of ball games. So he's been pretty durable since the ACL stuff two, three years ago now. I've lost track of time. So Levine's going to end up getting drafted too soon, and that's a shame because his, his fantasy value is so heavily tied up in his usage rate because of the field goal percent, the free throw percent, number of free throws, the number of shots, the points, the assists, the threes, all of that stuff goes together as you take the ball out of his hands, even two or three times a game. Just that little bit makes a big, big difference. So I don't think we're getting him. I would draft him near 40, but I don't think he's fallen that far. What of the rest of the Chicago Bulls, you ask? Who cares? There will not be any shots left, and it doesn't matter what they do with Patrick Williams. He'll he'll be there, and he'll chew up 3 and D minutes. And it doesn't matter what they do with Lowry Markkinen, whether it's they sign him or the sign and trade. The only way that someone comes in and finds fantasy value on this team is if they bring in a per 36 backup at, like, center, and Vooch misses a couple of weeks. But that's someone you'd rather be grabbing off the waiver wire anyway. There just aren't any wings that are going to come in and do enough in whatever minutes are floating around out there. And we've seen Kobe White is a points league type of guy who is worthless if he's not getting 15, 16 shots a game. He won't get close to that this year. Not close. And that's your Thursday show, friends and confidants. Still haven't made up my mind if we're even doing a show tomorrow. If I've already done five this week, I'll probably end up doing one because... I don't know. I'd feel weird if there wasn't a show. But just in case there isn't, don't freak out. We've already done five episodes this week because of the micropods. Thank you, Free Agency. If we do 
do a show tomorrow. It would be the Indiana Pacers finishing up the Central Division, and then next week would be the Atlantic, barring other breaking news. And then we start to come up with some rank boards, because now we basically know where everybody's going to be. Pretty damn cool, if I do say so myself. Friends, if you'd like to start gambling, now's as good a time as any. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. I will not only start your account for you, I will also make your first deposit at mybookie.ag. MyBookie, you bet you win. They pay. Play with real house money, not promo bucks. Again, hit me up. I'll open your account. I will make your first deposit. This offer is only good during the fantasy basketball offseason. And that means draft season, it's probably going away. Again, that's at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Give me a follow, throw a five-star review at the pod if you're relatively new this week with the free agency stuff. Have a great Thursday. We'll either talk to you tomorrow or Monday. I haven't decided. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.